Hello again, this is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs, and we are talking Manhattan, and we got the president of Rebney here today, Johnny. Yeah, Jim Whalen, we are here at the Nerve Center of Rebney, where it all happens, 51st yeah. and Lex. We're going right to the top. At the top. Right to the top. So thank you so much for taking time out. We got a lot of agents that want to hear what you got to say, um, but let's just start front and center. Um, what's going on from a, uh, uh, this, this recent rent regulations has happened in, in July with um, the townhouse market and the, and the multifamily market. Could you go over that really quick? So I know that's on people's minds and then we can go into other stuff. Uh, sure. And, you know, thanks, Noah and John, for taking the time to sit down this morning. Uh, you know, as you alluded to, Noah, the state made significant changes with respect to the, the rules governing uh, housing, rent-regulated housing, and it, it even caught up part of the ownership market with co-op and condos. Uh, you know, we think the changes that were made are very bad for the city's future. Um, and it was a really missed opportunity to address what really is sort of the city's affordable housing crisis. So by our estimate, the changes that were made in June within five years um, is going to result in well over a quarter of a million rent-regulated units in New York City having significant financial problems carrying out their day-to-day -day needs. Mm -hmm. What folks seem to lose sight of, because um, they sort of think of the big towers and that, but you know, 70 percent of the city's rent-regulated housing was built before 1947, and about 50 percent of it is 10 stories or less. Um, so the, the changes are really going to impact uh, a lot of the smaller buildings, smaller owners. Right. Uh, you know, number two is, you know, the day after they made those changes, the value of rent-regulated buildings dropped. Right. right? And so that's going to play out over time in mm -hmm. terms of assessments, in terms of property taxes that are collected from these buildings. We estimate within five years the rent-regulated stock in New York City is going to provide the city a billion dollars less each year in property tax revenue. Now, one has to imagine that the next mayor, whoever he or she is, they're not going to wake up one day and say, oh, I'm not going to collect an extra billion dollars in tax revenue. What they're going to do is they're going to shift that burden over to other parts of the class two property tax system, which right. means co-ops and condos. They'll take on a, a bigger Who have already tax had their taxes hit. raised. Right. Somewhat significantly over the last several years. Right. I mean, you know, really, um, you know, the real estate industry, you know, property taxes have funded, you know, the city's uh, substantial increase in the budget over the last few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. So, you know, and then, that, then there were other changes, that, you know, co-ops and condos got swept into uh, a number of the issues with right. the rent changes that were made. Uh, and, and, and really the missed opportunity here is... The city does have an affordable housing crisis, but it's important to define what it is and what it is not. Mm -hmm. um, when you look citywide at rents at twenty-seven seventy-five a month or more, the vacancy rate seven, citywide is about 7.5%, mm -hmm. which is a relatively healthy market. And it gets into the issue of, you know, when you say you have an affordable housing crisis, what are you trying to solve for? And what I put forward, what you're trying to solve for is to create a robust enough housing market that each individual, each family, has a choice as to where to live at, at a, a rent they can afford. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would argue successive mayors and governors have succeeded mm -hmm. in improving the housing market in some respects, but there are real challenges out there that if you're low or very low income, you face two challenges. You simply don't have enough money to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the changes in June, that'll probably slow the rent growth, but those individuals and families are no better positioned today to pay the rent right, right and then number two is 
they have very few choices. Like the vacancy rate, you know, in that part of the market is less than 2%. Yeah. And we have a fundamental supply and demand issue here in New York City. From about 2005 to 2016, the city added about a half million people, but we only created 125,000 housing units. Mm -hmm. So you can just see the imbalance right there. And that's only going to continue, I imagine. Um, what about, I mean, from an investor's perspective, from an owner's perspective, and I own one of these, um, not me personally, I'm just saying I'm hypothetical, I own one of these uh, multifamily units that are rentals. So I, I got my, I can't, I capped rents, right? Mm -hmm. Security deposits are, are, are restricted. But more importantly, I think, is, is the unintended consequence of, I don't have an incentive to improve this, this building, this product. Do you, I mean, and how does that affect construction workers, architects, designers, painters, you know, all, all these general contractors that, you know, improve New York City buildings? Well, we, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, anecdotal information, mm -hmm. um, uh, Noah, to your point about a sharp curtailment in MCI activity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th th that would be the programs that you bring in contractors sort of to improve buildings. You know, one of the challenges with the rent regulation system, and we, again, we don't think it was something that was solved in June with the changes, is it's surprising how little data is out there to guide good policy making when it comes to rent, right. uh, an issue like rent. So it's really important that um, uh, city and state agencies like DHCR and HPD be positioned in the future to be able to put out information as to what's going on in the market. Mm -hmm. So in this case, like how many MCIs are being undertaken, where, at what value, mm -hmm. et cetera. So one can start to make judgments moving forward as to how programs should be modified and mm -hmm. adjusted. Um, but we, we have a real fear, to your point, that, and, and, and it'll take time for this story to be tell, told with respect to data, right. but you're going to see a diminishment in the quality of rental housing in New York City. Is, is there already housing. a growing lobby to potentially scale this back? And if so, mm -hmm. um, how does that process play out for, for agents and, and investors and their clients who may want to, or, or are holding off making a decision? You know, you know I, I, with respect to securing modifications, you know, I think the responsible thing on, on our part is to really moderate expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I say that for two reasons. Um, you know, housing is a very hot button topic in New York City today, as it is in a number of urban centers. Um, you know, 2020 is an election year for state legislators, right. many of whom campaigned on securing changes to the rent laws. So, you know, that poses a, a, a challenge in the short term securing changes. Mm -hmm. And then number two is it's going to take a while to accumulate the data mm -hmm. to also see with your own two eyes right. the evidence of a diminishment in housing quality. Right. Right. So, you know, I mean, the, you know, the battle starts today and trying to, to win the, I was going to say the hearts and minds, but at least the minds of um, legislators. Um, to get them to see that you know there needs to be adjustments to the changes that were made in June, um, but it's probably going to take some time to get those changes secured. Right? Could agents do anything? I mean, if, if, if does activism help here? Uh, um, there's no doubt, and I mean it's something that was long discussed at Rebney, and I think we're starting to make progress on this front, and there's a lot more to do. But you know, uh, an active, engaged broker community 
is is a critical constituency to have out there, and we've yeah. seen that over the last two over the last year, right? So, you know, the last bad iteration of commercial rent control, right. the Small Business Job Survival Act, we had well over a hundred commercial brokers show up at City Hall last fall. Um, to testify against it. Mm -hmm. it. It was a great showing and mm -hmm. it sent a great message. And then more recently, you know, there was legislation in the city council that would have capped um, a broker commission on a, a rental. We're going right? to talk about that right yeah. next. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the <laughs> response from the, the, the residential brokerage community was outstanding. Yeah. Uh, well over a thousand brokers showed up at City Hall. Um, they continue to stay engaged. You know, on, on that front, for instance, um, there hasn't been much news on that legislation. Yeah, and, right. you know, folks just need to keep in mind that when it comes to this political process, no news mm -hmm. in this case is good news. Right. right? Just, but just on the practical side, so we had a, we had a, we had a, uh, like sort of a forum, and Jason Haver of Warburg was on, and he's very politically active. And one of the things he was saying is that it was really fantastic to have this turnout at City Hall when they talked about capping uh, residential rental commissions. But I'm curious as to other ways that are probably maybe more productive or just as productive uh, that agents could be doing is it but and which level is it is it is it city councilman is it state assemblyman well you know it depends on the issue um, and you know I'm going to flag two issues upcoming and you know there's a variety of ways that the brokerage community could get involved some of which we're moving on right away now so um, uh, the two issues uh, and both of them are at the state level at this point one would be um, making the case to public officials and the media about the changes that are needed with respect to rent. Mm -hmm. So for example, sort of capping one month security deposits right. really poses a problem for the diplomatic community, for student housing, even for providing uh, housing for the homeless, right? right? So um, you know, brokers are in a position, I think, to provide the most practical real life experience as to the downsides of the adjustment that were made in June. Right. And, you know, it's going to be important to get them in contact with their local elected official to have that conversation. And it should be a conversation. We're not looking for some emotionally charged right. discussion here. It's just you reason. Know, sort of yeah. reason, right? And, and, and also, you know, educating the media as well. The, the other upcoming issue is uh, the pied-à-terre tax. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. And, you know, I'd like to emphasize that. it's the recurring pied-à-terre tax, right? right? Because yeah. that you have the mansion tax, which was increased last year. So now there's this idea about a recurring pied-à-terre tax. And, you know, let's leave aside the fact that it can't be implemented, mm -hmm. like just technically. Physically can't be. Yeah, yeah. just administratively. Right. Um, but, you know, when you start to do the analyses about purportedly the money that would be generated, mm -hmm. it's, it's not all that clear it would generate a net positive in tax revenue for government. Right. Um, and it would have a very damaging impact on that part of the market, you know, resulting also in a loss of jobs. It's really just not clear what the upside to it is. Right. But that's another thing where the brokers really will need to get engaged mm -hmm. in being part of the conversation. And, you know, I actually forgot one because it, it leads to the other way that we can get brokers involved and we're looking to do it is on a city level we now have the the newest version of commercial rent control yeah. i mean as i like to say commercial rent control seems to be that type of bad idea that never dies like yeah. it's been around for decades so this one would actually create create the equivalent of the rent guidelines board which yeah i mean you got to sort of scratch your head when you look at the performance of the rent guidelines board when it comes to rent it, it actually has not been a solution to the city's affordable housing crisis so i'm not clear why something playing in the commercial space would be thought to be encouraging at all. Right. But, um, you know, sort of building upon um, 
what we were able to do with the commercial broker community uh, last year, what we're looking to do is get them much more involved in the social media space. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, know, you know, apropos uh, this morning's conversation, this is the, yeah. the new way to communicate yeah. with the media, with elected officials, um, with key people in the industry, right? Yeah, I think sometimes so there's, a, uh, there's sort of a false dichotomy between the commercial side and the residential side, because in many cases they do overlap. And right. generally speaking, what's good for the commercial side is also, benefit, yep. also benefits the residential side. So it's good to sort of uh, be involved in both issues right. that are... It's important to keep that in mind, you're right. But, but the key thing is, you know, to really be a, a much greater presence on social media, um, bringing facts to the table to dispel mistruths that might be out there. You know, in the case of commercial rent control, I mean, the studies have been done by uh, the city controller and by the Department of City Planning um, to sort of show um, what is going on in the New York City retail market. There is not this crisis. Sure, there are certain areas um, that need help, mm -hmm. but you also got to sort of take a look at why retails um, under some stress in some situations. Right. Obviously, you have online retail, uh, online shopping yeah. that's a threat, but you know, we touched upon this before. I mean, when you look at how property taxes have risen in this yeah. town with respect to retail, yeah. dramatic would be a kind word, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so, you know, it's, it's really important to get the folks who are dealing with retail every day, mm -hmm. the brokers, out there sort of telling the story, putting the facts out, and also, you know, telling the good news stories, right? Um, you know, folks were talking about Bleecker Street, you know, two or three years ago as sort of a, a, a bad news story. But when you look, Brookfield's come along today and really done some innovative things down uh, in Brookfield, uh, down on Bleecker Street with new retailers and small retailers. Right. And it's, it's important that those types of stories get told more and more. Interesting. Um, I want to go on to the, um, the rental commission that you touched on really quick. Could you please mm -hmm. um, just first clarify, because I don't understand it. So, like, what is the updated change as far as brokers um, who are representing condo or co-op owners and they're being asked to rent out their units, um, can they charge rental commissions to those condo slash co-op owners or no? So I just want to uh, draw a distinction and just be precise on wording. When it comes to commissions, there's no restrictions. Okay. Right? Um, the, the law did not touch commissions. So what is under um, discussion and you know warrants attention is the whole idea of processing fees mm -hmm. for applications, applications. credit, okay, gotcha. background check fees, right? Gotcha. And you know the Department of State has clearly weighed in and said that if you're a real estate licensee, if you're a broker and agent, and you represent a landlord, you're limited to charging twenty dollars um, for that fee. Right. Um, what's really murky is with respect to co-op and condo boards. And really the most responsible thing for us to do is really to be advising co-op and condo boards to consult with their attorneys. Right. Um, you know, the intent of the law that was passed in June, I think everybody would acknowledge was to address rental housing. But unfortunately with the way the law was worded, mm -hmm. it's not precise about condos and co-ops. Right, and especially so, co-ops as they regard as proprietary lease right. shares, right. So I think one has to be really careful and, you know, the most responsible thing to be doing is um, consulting your attorney. Right. So in general, the current regulatory landscape, I mean, what does the brokerage community, um, what, what, what do they need to know in general? I mean, has, are we still kind of in this we're tightening policy and it's going to continue for the next year or two. Yeah, so we're in an election period, right? Yeah. And, and there's state legislative turnover. I don't know if it was recent or it's about to happen or not. 
Um, or do you think it's kind of, all right, the worst has happened. I think that things might, I'm asking for an opinion here, I guess, um, with what you know. And if you don't know that opinion, I understand. Right. No, no, um, you know, it's a very challenging environment, and I think it's going to re- remain that one for a while, mm-hmm. right. um, both for international, national, and, and local reasons. And, you know, we've touched upon a number of the more pressing topics today, but you see it in our discussions about rent regulation, you know, ideas like capping rental commissions, the idea of putting something like a recurring pied-à-terre tax forward, sort of, sort of, um, commercial rent control. So, I, you know, I think it reflects um, somewhat of an anti-business, anti-real estate yeah. uh, environment. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to take some time for that to dissipate. Right. In terms of, let's go to revenue and RLS and data. Let's talk about that kind of stuff. Brokers love hearing about revenue and RLS and data. So we'll right. tell me what's happening. Do you, do you see anything there? Um, where are we headed? Well, just, so, you know, I want to touch upon some of the changes that have occurred. Um, and you know we'd like to have occur in the near future um, you know this year for the first time you know we put together an official RLS board it's led by John Wahlberg of Halstead and clearly Peters of, uh, of Warburg and you know we're very excited about their leadership and the, the board that we've put together of an exceptional group of diverse members and you know, they're really sort of focused on the idea of RLS being the city's leading source of residential listing and building data. You know, our big focus moving forward, and Noah, you're far more the expert on this than I am, but when it comes to data, the the whole issue is the cleanliness of it, right? So, like, there needs to be more and more of a focus on submitting accurate data in their listings. So, you know, moving forward, um, you know, we're going to be putting forward a very strong educational component to try to shape behavior on the need for clean data. Mm-hmm. And from a, a technology point of view, we'll be putting in place a, a robust compliance tool that identifies violations. And, you know, over time, we'll start to issue fines right. um, to try to uh, deter those violations from reoccurring. And so agents understand right. this is how a typical MLS operates. Right. And this is not something that's just new and we're not creating this just for New right. York. We're just kind of yeah, catching not, up to how it usually Right, because I mean, I think brokers in New York City have gotten used to the fact that they can manipulate their their listing to reset days on market and hide histories and do whatever they can. You know, 10B is now B10, um, or they'll add a dash in there, or they'll change a unit name or something like that. So standardizing all that and having RLS control all that so the agents can't, I think, is a good move. And and penalizing them, I mean, they react to money usually. Right. So if they get fined or they're going to lose their license or something, um, they will. They will change. Yeah. So. The other the other two things the flag is, you know, the, the, the rules of the road essentially is a document called the Universal Co Brokerage yeah. Agreement, right? And that, that continues to evolve. And, you know, no one listening to you, it just sort of flags that um, given how important technology is to this part of the industry and it's ever changing, similarly, the UCBA needs to continue the change. And that's something that we're continuously consulting. The residential brokerage community about about yep. sort of what the rules of the road should be right and then the other thing we put in place um just over the last few months was the uh residential universal new development agreement which outlines the terms and conditions for new developments on the rls just so everybody knows what the rules are and everybody's expected to abide by those can i rules. share something that i would love to happen um now i understand that you have a new development and let's say you got a 200 unit new development and in the reality of our world as brokers, because um, we like transparency, right? Um, they'll put 15 units into the RLS, you know, five one bedrooms, five two bedrooms, five three bedrooms, and then they'll sell some other stuff that we don't see access to. So one thing I always wanted to happen, and I don't even know if this is possible or not, but if we can somehow 
um, require that the sponsor puts um, a record in RLS for every listing that's in the Schedule A, that's in the offering plan, that is just beds, baths, size, right? They have every single right to take 80% of those listings and remove it off the market. All right, they, they don't have to sell, they can change, they don't have to dictate price, but at least we have a record for everything and we can measure, okay, we have 200 units here, 15 are on the market and 185 are off the market, and they could always just, again, take those listings and, and put it active if and when necessary um, at the price that's, that's at that time. Um, I think just having that bed bath size information available for consumers and for agents I think would be great because a lot of a lot of agents I see come to me and they say well um, how come you don't have this information for these new developments and my answer is when there's no data there's no data right right right, right. So. and yeah we will look into that uh, although it's sort of a key theme of mine and it, it, it buttress your point but the more data that's out there, the better. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, that would be it, super cool. It, it would help with consumers. <laughs> yeah. So, and I just I just want to shift it as we're starting to wrap up here. Just there is any uh, anything on the horizon for revenue in twenty twenty that uh, brokers should kind of keep an eye on, be on the lookout for. Um, you know, we we've been very active on in the education space. So you know, in the past year we've delivered over two hundred classes on a wide range of topics, and we've launched thirteen new brand courses and. You know, we have the legal lines, which, you know, sort of hats off to Neil Garfinkel, who does yeah, an right. absolutely terrific job, right? Um, you know, something that I think it's really important to focus on is part of the continuing ed offerings um, focus on fair housing, mm -hmm. which is a very important topic, and it's important that members stay up to date and compliant with fair housing laws. And, and then sort of the newest thing we've introduced is Fair Housing Fridays, um, which is a weekly tip that's put out about fair housing um, to the membership because it, it's a critically important topic and we need to make sure that you know members stay abreast of the law and are compliant with it. Great. Um, and last question, I'm going to let you go. I know you're very, very busy. Um, if I'm a developer, um, is there anything you can talk about that would maybe spike a little interest in us, um, you know, doing a deal or, or starting a new, a new project? What's, what's the bullish case for New York? Yeah, what's, really is there any bullish things I can do? I know the policies are against us, but anything we can talk about? Well, yeah, I, I, we do need to take a step back and, and keep things in perspective from the, from the following very big picture. I mean, 2019 was a strong economic year for the city, including Manhattan. I mean, you had record job growth, crime has stayed near historic lows, population continues to grow, had a record number of uh, tourists. On the development front, you know, you had the first phase of Hudson Yards um, completed. You know, one Vanderbilt is topping out as the tallest office building in Midtown Manhattan. You got new plans for Farley. You got development all along uh, the west side of Manhattan. You know, we expect that to sort of continue apace. There'll, there'll be opportunities. Uh, you know, we just need to keep our eye on and effectively advocate on, on some of the stress points that we've discussed this morning. Right, okay, and we'll do our best to get that message across to the agents and, and, and stoke some change, at least help. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. This is great. We've got Revenue President Jim Whalen here. Um, this is Noah and John. We're from Urban Digs. We're talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Thank Have you. a great one.